problem is, your problems are never going away. So uh, I figured we should shine a little light on the problem. Here's 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So as I said last week, I am uh, shifting in this series from my habits over the past three and a half years here at Grace, where I have preached through books of the Bible one chapter at a time. I'm still preaching, obviously, through two books of the Bible in this series, but I am not going to preach the entire chapter. I read it for you so that you can hear it and receive it. Maybe take some notes if God surfaces something in your heart and mind as you listen to me read. But then I'm going to zone in on a couple of particular verses that help me get the point across. So um, let me tell you a few things real quick about the book of 1 John. It was written by John the beloved apostle. So what we know about John, if it was indeed the beloved apostle who wrote this book, we are talking here about a book, don't miss this, written by Jesus' best friend. We have reason to believe from the gospel accounts that John, the beloved, was Jesus' best friend. We believe that uh, the book of 1 John was written probably somewhere around 90 A.D., So let's place that in the timeline. We believe that Jesus was crucified and raised again to life somewhere between 33 and 35 A.D. We're not sure of the exact dates. And so we are now 60 years beyond the dates of those events. So last week I talked to you about how close James is to the events because of when the book of James was written. The book of 1 John is a little more distant. And what's happening here is John the Beloved left the city of Jerusalem, most scholars agree, sometime around 67 AD. Because we know, of course, historically that Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD by the Romans. They destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, killed all the inhabitants, and exiled those whom they did not kill. It was the cataclysm to end all cataclysms in Jewish history to that point. And John, of course, was not caught up in that disaster. Um, He does... um, flee the city in 67 AD, and he moves into what was known as Asia Minor. For us today, that is Western Turkey. 
And most scholars think that he was living somewhere near the city of Ephesus when he wrote 1 John. What's cool about Ephesus was, in its day, it was quite a cosmopolitan city. The ruins of the city of Ephesus are still there to this day. I saw them when I was a teenage boy, and they are remarkable. You can see, even amongst the ruins today, that this was an incredible cosmopolitan city. And what's really neat about Ephesus is it is very close to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And if you're thinking those names sound familiar, the reason that those names sound familiar is because they are part of the churches, the seven churches, whom John writes to in his epic dream captured in the book of Revelation. He writes to those specific churches in Revelation 2, verse 8, through Revelation 3, verse 22. So he was familiar with these churches, and he was familiar with them probably because he had been living in that region for a very long time, probably from somewhere in the late 60s A.D., into the 90s AD, when as an old man, as a statesman of the church in what would one day be known as Europe, he is writing to communicate what he personally experienced with Jesus to the churches in his region, to encourage them and to connect them to the source. Here's the big idea for me from John's authorship of First. John. Um, put simply, when Jesus' best friend writes about him, I'm lining up to pay attention. Wouldn't you? This is his best friend writing this book. So when uh, Jesus' best friend writes a book, I'm going to pay attention to it. Let me read to you real quick um, a little bit about John. While John is not mentioned by name in the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he is likely to have been the beloved disciple who reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper in John 13. He stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to John's care in John 19, 26, and 27. Along with Peter, John witnessed the empty tomb on the first Easter Sunday morning in John 20, verse 2 through 10. He also saw, spoke with, and ate breakfast at a lakeside fire kindled by the resurrected Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 21, verses 7 and 20. He was therefore highly qualified to write of what he and others had seen, gazed upon, and touched. As Jesus' beloved disciple, he was also well-suited to plumb the depths of the meaning of Jesus' coming, of his death, his resurrection, and eventual return. These are all matters that play a role in the witness, instruction, and admonition of this highly concentrated letter. So here in 1 John, you have a letter about Jesus to you from Jesus's best friend. This is a first-hand account of who Jesus is and what Jesus means for you. So if you have been searching for answers to who Jesus is and what that means for you, John's your man. And here is how he is going to help you connect to the source. Hear the words of 1 John 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood 
of Jesus Christ, his son, from the Greek, keeps on cleansing us from all our sin. I'm going to explore three things with you real quick here today. First thing I'm going to explore, I'm going to tell you about this light. Yes, I am. I can preach today. I'm going to tell you about this light. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what you can't do if you walk with this light. First, I'm going to tell you about this light. Second, I'm going to tell you what you cannot do if you walk with this light. Third, I'm going to show you what will happen to you if you do. If you walk with the light, here's what will happen to you. Point one, let me tell you about this light. Verse five, this is the message that we have heard. This is the message. This is the message. This is it. Okay, I just want to point out that what you have here from John for you is a cut to the chase kind of faith. This is it. This is the message. If you happen to be looking for something that you can count on in these troubled times, this is it. This is the message. Simply put, in today's vernacular, you can count on Jesus. This is the message. You can count on Jesus. And in your counting on him, as you leverage your life on the story of Jesus. And I know that for some of you, you're on a spectrum there, right? Like you're not necessarily all the way there. I'm certainly not all the way there. You're somewhere along that journey of learning to trust Jesus, of learning what it means to walk with Jesus. There's a very good chance that as you have begun learning to count on Jesus, that um, some of your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, and peers have begun laughing at you. You may even have been marginalized by some of your peers for building your life on a Bible story. You ever felt that way? Like these stories are pretty old. Some of these stories are pretty crazy. Some of these stories seem pretty hard to believe. I just want to say, I'm with you. I'm in 2 Chronicles right now. What a miserable book. Okay, (laughs) Half the stuff is just so inapplicable to my life. It's downright depressing. So whether you're reading something inapplicable, whether you're reading something inexplicable, okay, if you ever find yourself thinking, like, this story is pretty crazy, and if that makes you feel like you might be a little crazy for counting on it, let me just tell you here this morning, because I love you, that everybody you know is building their life on a story. Everybody is building their life on some kind of story. Everybody you know is telling themselves a story to help them get by. The only difference between you and your peer who has not yet come to love, trust, obey, and enjoy Jesus, the only difference between them and you is that they are the hero of their own story and for you, receive it. And for you as one of Jesus' people, Jesus is the hero of your story. Don't kid yourself. And don't let anyone marginalize you for building your life on the story of Jesus. Personally, I would much rather build my life on the story of Jesus than I would on the story of Eugene. Amen? Amen. I would much rather build my life on the story of God. This is, verse 5, the message. Everybody has a governing story. Remember this week that you don't need to be the hero of your own story. Receive it. Because Jesus is. Have you been trying to be the hero? 
You can stop anytime you want because Jesus is the hero of your story. Also, keep in mind here that you are in a story that can be trusted. Why? Because it's told by the Word. Who is the Word? The Word is the original storyteller. Continuing in verse 5. This is the story that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you. This is the story that we have heard from Him. Let's give verse 5 an assist from verse 1. This is the message that we have heard from Him which was from the beginning. Okay, in John 1, 1, John is referring to the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, who was from the beginning. You see, friend, this is not a story that's just come up today. This is a story that we have heard from the one who is from the beginning. Let me just take you back here to first-year philosophy in university, or maybe you studied philosophy in high school. Remember when they were teaching you in philosophy class about the appeal to authority? Let me just remind you here that all appeal to authority, at least in Western philosophy, involves tracing that authority back as far as possible, as close as possible to the original source. So if Mike told you, who did Mike hear it from? Oh, Mike heard it from Becky. Okay, who did Becky hear it from? Well, she heard it from uh, Sarah. Well, who did Sarah hear it from? Well, she heard it in a letter that she received from her grandmother who got it from her great-grandmother who got it, right? We trace authority backwards in time, trying to get as close to the source as possible. If that is how you appeal to authority, let me just say that the eternal word is good enough for me. Is he good enough for you? We have heard this from him who was from the beginning. If you want to survive, let me encourage you to put your doubt aside and to trust the word. And here's what the Word says. Verse 5, part B. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Let me take you back to that epic and beautiful passage that Jenny read so well and then applied so prophetically into our lives this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As I finish point number one, let me tell you about that light. He has been there from forever. That light is God. He made everything that is. He is life itself. And that life is the light for everyone. And the darkness has not overcome him. Tell that to your crisis. I mean, somebody shout in this house. Right? The darkness has not overcome him. So if you, like I've been feeling the last two weeks feel like the darkness is creeping about the periphery of your spiritual life. If you feel like the darkness is trying to sneak in to crush your soul, remind the darkness of who the light is and remind the darkness that the light is your dearest friend and that the darkness has not overcome him. Let me tell you about this light today. Let me tell you, point two, what you can't do if you walk with this light. We get this out of verse 6. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say while we walk, we lie, we do not practice. Here's what I get to point out to you from verse 6. All of these actions in the original language are present continuous. Okay, they're present continuous. So you should actually read verse 6 this way. If we keep keeping on saying we have fellowship with him while we keep keeping on walking in darkness, we are keep keeping on lying and not keep keeping on practicing the truth. My dear friends, it is my joy to remind you today that we humans are creatures of habit. Somebody say amen. You know it, and I know it. We are creatures of habit. That's why we find this shutdown so disconcerting. All of our routines have been broken. All of our habits have been cast into disarray. I'm praying that for some of you, you will look back on this time and see that God brought you freedom through this shutdown. As some habits that needed to be put aside were put aside. Hallelujah. We humans are creatures of habit. Here's my question for you today because I love you. Do you have a darkness habit or do you have a light habit? I have condensed this for you into a hashtagable statement that hopefully you will take with you throughout this week. Hashtag, how tanned is your soul? Does your soul look like it's been spending time in the light? How tanned is your soul? My dear friends, you cannot keep keeping on having communion with darkness if you are walking in the light. This is uh, brought home for us powerfully in the epic, immortal words of Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Hear these words and may they arrest you this week. May they captivate your imagination this week as you seek to connect to Jesus so that you can find a way to navigate your way through this season in the valley. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the underworld, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Hallelujah! Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. My dear friend, in coming to Jesus, you have gotten yourself involved with the one who banishes the darkness. In fact, his light is so light that the dark cannot abide his presence. It cannot come near him. And if the light that is Jesus Christ dwells in your hearts, my dear friends, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you need fear no evil because the light, hallelujah, has taken up 
residence in your heart and the darkness flees. Somebody give him praise in this house today. Point number three, let me show you what will happen to you if you walk with this light. Look at verse 7. And again here, think of this in the present continuous. I will take you to the Greek in just a sec, but here it is in the English, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from all our sins. But if we keep keeping on walking in the light as he is keep keeping on being in the light we keep keeping on having communion with one another and the blood of jesus christ his son keeps keeping on cleansing us from all our missing of the mark i can't help myself today i want to jump i want to spin i want to sing i want to run laps if we walk in the light I mean, could it be better this morning? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, not only are we connected to one another, we have fellowship with one another, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all our sins. God, I can't even take it. I can't take it. Why? Well, the problem is, your problems are never going away. You know this. I know this. Your sin problem is always with you. But so is Jesus the sin killer. It, how beautiful is that? Yes, your problems are always with you. I know it. You know it. It's true. But so is Jesus. Oh, the sin killer. God the Son made flesh. Kathy, you can join me because I'm done. Who became the man Jesus who went to Calvary's cross so that as he hung there, God his Father could place on him the iniquity, the sins of us all so that our holy God could punish his Son in your place and mine for our sins. So that good man, that God man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, God in a body, bore the sins of the world on the tree and suffered and died in our place. But because he was God, he did not stay dead, but he arose victorious the third day, that very first Easter Sunday morning, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell, not just once, but forever. And then that same Jesus appeared to his friends and ate real food and had real fellowship and taught real truth. And then right in front of their eyes, he ascended back to his father's right hand where he sat down in glory. Where even now, he's interceding for you, which means he's your cheering section. If you ever wonder what Jesus is doing, he's cheering for you and preparing a place for you. And then someday he's going to come back to do what? To judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. A kingdom in which you have a place. That, my dear friends is what Jesus has done for you. You got problems? No problem. You got Jesus.